on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine. In the context of men's work, we have self-permission to be the wild man, self-permission to be the sovereign um, and the steward and the warrior and magician, you know, all of them, I guess. And if most of our wounding comes from that time of adolescence, then it would make sense that there's still so much prior to that wounding that needs to be reconnected on a collective level. And and I think playfulness, collective playfulness without agenda. Yeah. There's just a lot of awareness of, of that soft part of ourselves. It's like, yes, of course, that's who we are. You know, we came into that, to this world with that. What does it mean to be a man today? The toxic patterns of masculinity are being challenged and new pathways are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric uncertainty, how might we look to the old mythologies for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculinities. Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Jason McKenzie, co-founder of Sacred Sons, a men's organization whose self-professed aim is to steward the return of the father archetype through men's relational and physical training. I first met Jason in 2019 at the Sacred Sons Convergence in San Diego, a powerful gathering of over 300 men. I experienced firsthand the container that he, alongside his core collaborators, Aubert Bastiat and Adam Jackson, crafted together. In our conversation today, Jason and I dive into his own experience with drug and alcohol abuse early in life. He speaks of finding his way into men's work and committing himself to the Mankind Project, before ultimately departing to follow his own path. We talk about the deep longing for elders in a largely elderless time. And finally, he speaks of his learnings from the ending of a partnership and coming into a new relationship with his own feminine spirit. Before we begin, you might consider listening to episode 51, which is my interview with Bill Koth, the co-founder of the Mankind Project. This sets up the lineage that connects to my conversation with Jason. You might also wish to read the essay I wrote after my participation at the Sacred Sons Convergence, titled The Rise of the Embodied Masculine. I've linked to it in the show notes. Finally, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter of this podcast. I don't accept advertising and rely on listeners like you to fund the show. You'll get access to exclusive perks, including behind-the-scenes updates, bonus interviews, and more. Visit themythicmasculine.com slash supporter to join. And now, enjoy my conversation with Jason McKenzie. Welcome, Jason, to the show. Thank you, Ian. It's great to be here, brother. Would you please begin by sharing a little bit of where you are in this moment, physically, geographically, spiritually? Yeah, thank you. Um, physically, I'm sitting in my room in the house that I live in on Maui uh, in the Kingdom of Hawaii, present to some softness and some clarity within my own um, uh, energetic space and cognitive space, feeling gratitude as well as some, some heaviness in my heart. And... Yeah, a little nervousness. Uh, just I'm in a fresh place and uh, just I'm really eagerly nervous to see what emerges uh, in the conversation here. 
so yeah, I'm present, present with all that. A few weeks ago, you completed the next round of the Sacred Sun's Convergence. And perhaps that's still fresh with you, as it's, a, it's quite a vast endeavor. And I would love to share a little bit about what happens there, because it also is the place where we first connected last year at the Convergence. Um, and before we get into that even, I would love for you to share a little bit about what is Sacred Sons, but from a way that you've never spoken about it. All right, cool. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So what's been really present with me, um, you know, cause I, cause I personally will do that is like each iteration and phase that I, um, evolve in with sacred sons is all right. What is, what is it now? What's like, what is this now? And, um, yeah, without being like too cheesy, it's like, uh, X-Men meets, uh, Jedi meets, um, monks, you know, in, in the mountains, these pretty, uh, these pretty typical, uh, role models for embodied brotherhood. I'll say that both on a, uh, on a pop cultural and in a, you know, cross-cultural traditional way. So yeah. And, and like in thinking that it's like, those are just jumping off points of like, of co-creation of, of what it will actually unfold into and what it has unfolded into. And yeah, I think, I think those, those examples, um, they're inspiring. It's inspiring to do that even, even with the pop cultural pieces. Cause it's like, you know, growing up, there's these stories, whether it's like superheroes or like the Goonies or the Mighty Ducks or whatever, you know, like for me as a, as a kid, you know, all these stories of adventure and superheroes that it's important. I think it's important to recognize, like, even though that like it's pop culture and it's surface stuff, you know, that, um, it's important to recognize that to, to connect that to where I'm at, where we're at, we as sacred sons are at in that, that mytho narrative, um, that, that we're co-creating. So, so yeah, it's kind of like that. And I think, you know, uh, getting underneath it a little more, it's like a brotherhood of men that is always accessible for those who really want to fully embody what it means to be in that X-Men Jedi monk monk role (laughs) without, without closing off to, you know, it's not like a, I'm, I'm dedicating my whole life to this and closing off to the rest of the rest of the world and the communities, but like this place to come in and train and be a part of that. uh, And then to take that back out and radiate, radiate it back out into their lives and communities and families. Beautiful. And I totally get the uh, reference, the pop culture references, because so much of, for those that grew up in modern culture, you know, that, that is the new mythology or that that's the a shared mythology that many can, uh, can find a sort of shared meaning in, or at least like a, some, some models or templates. And I'll share a little bit about my experience um, with Sacred Sons uh, that I guess just over a year ago, I somehow I was connected to you, I think through a, a fellow brother, Elias actually. And, um, you were going to be holding your next round of convergence, I think number three, which uh, I understand it as as a sort of meta gathering of of men from the region and maybe from a bit further afield from uh, in the San Diego area, out at the uh, beautiful um, location of Liberty Arising. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 
as I've shared about in this podcast uh, in the past, you know, I've done a number of years of men's work already, uh, some experience in Mankind Project and, you know, with other groups and, and places like Tamara and things like that. And I'll say that when I encountered Sacred Sons, I mean, one, I was stirred by what feels like the the willingness to reveal so much of what often goes on in these men's healing spaces, you know, characterized by Instagram posts and, and Facebook and things where there's, there's a real kind of raw emotionality, you know, which is not typical for uh, men to be, to be witnessed in, uh, in this culture. And so in that sense, I think it'd be fair to say that Sacred Sons has, has made a bit of a, it's become a bit of a presence, you know, within the sort of men's work scene, um, at least, you know, sort of in a, in the West coast and, and largely beyond. And so when I arrived as well, I had some sense of that. And, and I was really, in so in many ways, appreciative of how I felt it was, it was such a weaving of multiple threads for myself, at least from, for example, like festival culture or intentional festival culture, you know, music and, and that way of gathering mixed in with, yeah, men's work and ritual and council spaces and, you know, all these, these different modalities that were, came together and actually really beautiful, uh, a beautiful, immersive experience. And since then, I feel I've really appreciated how we stayed in touch. And um, I ended up writing a piece about it called Sacred Sons and the Rise of the Embodied Masculine. And I feel like, yeah, we, we really found a, a, some level of parallel kinship in our journeys as well as even our last names. I mean, we both share Mackenzie. And uh, I suspect there perhaps is some ancestral lineage, uh, you know, intact somewhere. Some point. Uh, if you go back yeah. far enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was really excited about this conversation because I feel like there's a certain thread that I would love to to explore. And it, before we get there, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your upbringing and what led you to to start Sacred Sons because I do think it's important to just have that sense of, yeah, what was it like growing up? You know, what were the sort of thresholds that you hit, and and what led you to then recognize that this was like a life's mm. calling? All right, we're going there. We're doing that. All right. Um, yeah, it was pretty tumultuous and I moved around a lot. I think that's really important to note is that I moved around a lot, um, West coast of the U S to the East coast four times back and forth. And then even in those areas, um, moving around in those areas, my, my father was, uh, he was in the Navy, um, for, you know, 20, 25 years and, so he'd get stationed and, you know, we'd, we'd go with him and yeah. And, and I, I don't often say that, you know, when answering this question, but that has had a huge impact on my life. And, you know, I know a lot of people who are military uh, children um, can really relate to this, but it really, um, it really jostled the sense of the <laughs> jostled the already uh lack of belongingness that was you know uh, uh that i came into with with my family in this culture so so yeah that 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 had a huge influence on me and i can remember i was actually thinking about this yesterday i can remember just how hard it was like being the new kid so often and not wanting to be <laughs> not wanting to be seen but also wanting to be seen, right? Like that, you know, like so many of us can relate to that in general, I know. But yeah, that deep desire to, you know, to really be seen in who I am and not be seen as, you know, what I think I am just because I'm, you know, the new guy. 
So that had a profound impact on me. Um, I, I finally, you know, around middle school and high school, I stopped moving around, um, or at least stopped moving to different schools. And so things had solidified, wounds had solidified in terms of, you know, uh, heartbreak, like, you know, first girlfriend heartbreaks and like, you know, friends like stealing girlfriends and all that, you know, all that stuff. And, um, yeah. And by the time I was 18, I was, I was, uh, an alcoholic and, and, uh, pretty heavy into drugs. And by the time I was 19, I, I was in a coma for four days. And, um, during that time, like my consciousness wasn't like, I wasn't, I wasn't in an in-between space. I mean, I was, but like, I wasn't conscious that I was, and I can't remember being in that space, but I can remember coming to, you know, on the fourth day and, and waking up and just having this like f- full downloaded presence of like, all right, like I'm clear on what the agreement is. And the agreement is to, is to serve and, and steward, steward life. Cause I had essentially slowly been killing myself and yeah, and just made that agreement. And so uh, that was 19 and that took, um, you know, that took several years, like, especially physically to pull myself out of that, um, that rock bottom. Um, I didn't have a, a lot of support systems with peers. Um, so it took me a long time to get to like square one of, uh, being able to build, you know, in all the senses. And yeah. And so then like, you know, when I got to that square one, that was like yoga, yoga and, um, you know, really switching up my diet, you know, these pretty typical step ones for, for people in transformation and, and did that for a handful of years, you know, had moved back out to the West coast of California and San Diego, where I had not lived since I was like nine years old and, you know, kind of did this, you know, childhood re retracing stuff, which felt good. And, and then, you know, about three or four years into yoga community and, and all that, it was, yeah, they're just, I needed more, you know, I needed more realness. I needed more, um, connection. I needed to be, I needed to be held. I didn't even like, I wasn't even aware of it, you know, verbally or cognitively, but I could just feel it. And I was just seeking and searching in ways that I, that I hadn't. I had sat in set sweat lodges, you know, on and off since like 2008. Um, so Darren, Darren Silver, who, um, you know, was, he, he, um, at actually at Convergence 4, he, he held the, the mythical pillar, uh, officially. Huh. But Darren and I go back since high school and, you know, I had been sitting in lodges with him since 2008. And I heard about a men's weekend, you know, an MKP men's weekend. And, you know, it took a, took me a year to like actually sign up and go to it. And, and what convinced me to do it was like the guy on the phone was like, he was talking all this stuff. And I was like, all right, like, I don't know. Uh, but then he mentioned the sweat lodge and I was like, oh, okay, I'm in. Like, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> if there's a sweat lodge, cool. Like, I'll have a good time, mm. at least I think. And and that was just kind of like a validation of like, oh, okay, these guys know. These guys know something. They're not just like totally full of shit or anything. So, yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of what the path had been. And um yeah. Can I see something about that too? Yeah, yeah. What did you first encounter at that MKP Mankind Project weekend? I assume it was the New Warrior Training mm-hmm. weekend, right? Which yeah. is what they they offer all kind of new new initiates. Yeah. 
Oh man. Um, so much fear, you know, in that greeting and like, <laughs> just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, I don't think this is what I need. <laughs> I don't think I need to be confronted in silence by men who are all the age of my father, uh, about, you know, what it means to be a man or spirituality or relationships. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's what, what I need. Mm. And, you know, and that was my resistance. And it was, it was so fucking scary because it was like, yeah, just that, that older masculine presence, you know, regardless of how many shadows an older man may have or not, or what, what he's done in his life, you know, like that's a whole other thing to address. And, you know, an older man being able to really have presence and, and, especially in silence and witness or in, in mostly silence and witness, um, a younger man is, uh, profoundly healing and, and profoundly scary for, for most younger men. And what happened, I mean, and without giving me too much detail, I, I mean, I also understand that MKP initially was quite secretive about what goes on on these weekends. And since that time I've, I've sort of also relaxed a bit of that secrecy, not so much to, kind of keep it hidden, but more so to respect, you know, the integrity of the container. Yeah. And also, so extending that respect still, but maybe just in your own personal experience, like what did you find that was valuable within the the rest of what they led you through that weekend, which then led you to actually participate? Because I understand, again, you really jumped on board after that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the confrontation, um, the examples of technology to, to confront, um, Things within myself, things with another person, things in groups. You know, as a, as a child, like I struggled so hard in my family, family and in friends because I was always aware of, you know, the unspoken. I was always aware of like subtle, subtle things. And I happened to be in an environment that didn't support uh, me learning how to be with that relationship of awareness. And so I would ignore it. And after a certain amount of time, it can't be ignored. And then the way that I would express it would just be like, you know, messy or volatile or unclear. And so to see these techniques with within other people and especially adult men was like, oh, okay, this is, this is really something. And I can remember there was moments in that first weekend I did with MKP where I could just feel like pockets of energy in my, in my body, just like completely opening up that had been like closed off. And, and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like, I didn't know this could happen without plant medicine. (laughs) I was like, okay, cool. Great. And, and it felt good and it felt good to know that it felt good and it felt good to see that this was happening in a community where confrontation was taking place and that truth and life force was emerging like shortly after the confrontation. Um, Mm. Yeah. Sharing a little bit to the listener, uh, I myself as well participated in uh, the one new new warrior training weekend. This is back in uh, late 2016 outside Vancouver in the, the local chapter there. And um, I, yeah, I experienced many of the same things, a confrontation, a sense of 
Yeah, being in the presence of men, particularly older men, some of the the elders they'd invited to to be the sort of senior support, that really had a, a depth of yeah, both presence and prowess in a way that I hadn't really experienced in older men. And I realized through my own experience, also through their shadow work or carpet work process, of which just to say that it sort of invites a yeah, a more deeper confrontation with, you know, one's own man's own patterns of or maybe strategies, right, of of that have become ingrained that that they guide one through a somewhat intensive process. Um, you know, I at that point I'd experienced other modalities of sort of gestalt group process where this one itself was was almost like a mixture of that style but with uh, like fight club style <laughs> yeah, energy, totally. which uh, <laughs> which which again was profound and actually at the time i really appreciated it because i was like yeah i really needed in a sense people that could track my own internal processes or like strategies of which i knew how to get out from people's attempts to do so and so if that makes sense like i like my i could i knew my own shadow enough to know that unless i was caught by someone i felt was competent enough to catch me i wouldn't reveal and and again, that wasn't like an, a necessarily a conscious process, but it was like realizing just how deep these like shadow strategies are for myself and and you know suppose for other men. So, and I was caught within that container, which I was grateful for, which led to a really profound opening. Where I think what happened for me is I really reclaimed, or maybe sort of discovered for the first time, a deeper trust in men, of which I recognized you know sort of after the fact that it wasn't really there. And and I think this is actually pretty regular for most men growing up in this culture that they there is like a profound low-level distrust uh, of men and you know some might say well you know i got my buddies and my friends you know we go we go for drinks and what do you mean we get along fine which may be true but i find often men in this culture have a very discomfort with emotions right or or getting below these other surface layers or even a sort of low-level suspicion of men and particularly older men in general and probably because there's a level of heartbreak, actually, you know, to be a younger man in this culture and to see so few examples of, of men, achieved men, um, that have a capacity of, you know, holding space of, you know, I would call it more the elder function, you know, that, that so few seem to exhibit it. And so I don't know if men actually fully realize this either, of, that there is this low-grade sorrow, I feel, around this. And so, yeah, it was profound to experience that. And I understand for you then, through that process, it really did awaken something that you felt compelled to to participate in because I understand in the years to come, you, you ended up staffing as mm-hmm. well, right? A, a number yeah. of, of these weekends. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. I, um, yeah, I resonate a lot with, resonate a lot with all that. Um, but just real briefly, what came up for me, you know, it's like the the idea that we can only trust others as much as we trust ourselves and like specifically with men it's like well that's so much the case and i feel like there's even in this work of coming into deeper connection and in stronger bonds with brothers that like my trust stuff has been so amplified with that and yeah and it really comes down to me trusting myself to um it's not about like trusting myself you know, like just saying that, but it's trusting myself to trust my, to hold myself enough when betrayal happens again, because it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. It might be totally different, but, but do I trust myself enough to, to be willing to, to be with myself afterwards? 
And so, yeah, so like that confrontation piece and then, you know, what you're speaking to of, of, you know, my words of somebody really being able to witness and hold you in that, it was just so clear. I was like, oh, like it's about the group, like the, the healing comes from the group and, you know, I also growing up would throw parties when my parents would like, you know, go out for the evening or when they were in middle, when I was in middle school and they'd be at work, like I'd invite friends over and there'd be like 30 bikes in my front yard. Um, so for me, there was really something about reconnecting that gathering and hosting energy <laughs> and with, with healing. And, you know, we want to call it healing or connection or, you know, whatever it is, but something, something more profound and, and under uh, the surface of all the surfacey things that are out there. So, yeah, so I ended up staffing, staffed for um, a good couple times a year over the course of like three or four years. We ended up doing the a uh, little bit of the leadership training, uh, which is a very long process. You know, men are in their leadership training program for years in in order to be, you know, these certified leaders for their for the weekends. And so I did that and had a lot of good mentors. Um, some I'm still in contact with now and made some good connections, good friends. And then ultimately like found myself at a place where it was like, okay, I need to go and do this on my own. Not necessarily lone wolfing, but like almost like there was this father relation. My, like my relationship to MKP is like MKP is my father, <laughs> you know? And it's like, mm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do my father's work. I'm going to go out and do, you know, and do my own thing. And, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a really profound understanding. You know, I'm actually thinking of, I interviewed Bill Koth, who is the, one of the co-founders, mm -hmm. right, of, of MKP. And he spoke about the time around Robert Bly had written Iron John, you know, and that had been, you know, big, a big, uh, activation point for men in the culture and the origin of MKP in the or in the origin story of MKP he talks about how I mean they were really inspired by this depiction of the wild man which Robert Bly talks about in his book and so they joined with two or he joined with two others and they just kind of cobbled together you know these these wild man weekends is what he called them and then afterwards they did the first one I believe they sent a letter to uh, Mr. Bly and they said basically like hey hey we you know we were inspired by your book or the wild man and we did this wild man weekend Kind of like, what do you think of it, Dad? It's exactly what he said to me. Actually, he said, uh, "What, what, what do you think, Dad?" Like, he they didn't write that in the letter, of course, but that was the tone yeah. of it. He recognizes uh -huh. now, and apparently, yeah, Mister Bly says, uh, "Like, congratulations, that sounds fantastic." And he said, "Don't call it Wild Man Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> the media, the media will just tell you apart." <laughs> and and then they shifted it. I, I it wasn't New Warrior Training. I think it was a version that happened before, but. So it's just interesting you mentioned that as well. Like there's this recognition actually that, you know, that the generational work was different than the the generation before. And and I think that's really interesting that you would recognize that in terms of MKP even. Because I do feel like I have, my sense of it too, was that it felt a bit of a prior generation, you know, in my experience of it. Like it didn't feel as current to at least my experience as, as I, I was around 35, right, when I did it. And even even the experiences I had had, like at Burning Man and these other places where it felt like there was a real profound level of, yeah, of embodiment or of music, of culture that felt wasn't included. And so 
I just appreciate you you recognizing that and maybe that was the spurring of like, you know, I need to be able to strike out, not necessarily as a lone wolf, but as you say, like to 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 cr- to craft a kind of space that is relevant and rich with with what's true for you and for your generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's really like the the next you know, profound initiation in a, you know, quotation marks here, a man's life after, you know, that first initiation, the separation from the mother, right, is that first initiation in adolescence. And then, you know, in the uh, the formative years, towards the end of the formative years is that that separation from the mentor or the father of of identifying the self as capable to to lead into yeah and to and to, to do this for oneself yeah i'm you know i love that story about the wild man and uh it's so funny because it's like it's like don't don't call it that you got to wait uh like 35 years uh until instagram's around and uh it'll really really sit with with people in in a good way and you know i think of what was um what I gleaned from from my mentors and from MKP as an organization, which is just, I'll say, is two different things. You know, there's MKP, the organization, and there's like my relationships that I've had in MKP. And I had, you know, I was involved in both of those ways. And, you know, it was like, there's no cameras allowed. You're really not allowed to speak to anything. And, and this all came from like a really good, sacred and intentional space of like, no, this is like... uh masculine ritual it's for thousands of years it's been kept secret and um yeah and i get that and you know in that same way of me you know i for like a year or so i was like but but dad like we got to show the photos to the to all my friends you know otherwise like they don't know and um and i finally got to the point where it was like you know it was like okay you know quotation marks here again dad's not going to change so um <laughs> let me go out and 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 build my own thing and co-build my own thing and and i really respect that like this it's really profound for me to say it in this way and i really respect that that you know that there is secrecy intentional sacred secrecy around showing uh, the men's work um for for so long and i really want to celebrate well i guess celebrate myself but like celebrate those who have been the ambassadors and and built the bridge from from these old these old ways to the new ways in showing it you know like i really i was thinking sit with this yesterday too of wow look how much impact has been able to be and it's hard to like really tangibly like know how much but like there's impact there's there i know there's impact on showing what this work looks like you know not just with sacred sun stuff but all the brothers out there you know you know tim morrison coming to mind you know tim tim shared something like a month or two ago and it like it went viral and like there was like hundreds of thousands of views in like 24 hours of like you know a man doing men's work and you know and that's that's really important that's a lot of what yeah that's a lot of what the the core belief of sacred sons is is that we're normalizing what healthy masculinity looks like or what the process of being healthy is and, and, you know, uh, calling that in, um, again, going back Mm -hmm. to the role models, like if we don't have the role models or we don't have the visual reference points, but we know what's possible, then we, then it's on us to show, show that. Right. Like Mm -hmm. let's, let's Mm -hmm. learn. So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So, 
you know, and that's that's one of the things that um, Adam Jackson, Albert Bastiat, and myself uh, really identified when we we started forming Sacred Sons was one of the core pieces of this needs to we need to share this with as many people possible from like a place of like um, not grandiosity but like you know, the, the understanding of the potential of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply supported and in allyship with, with Adam and Albert. And it's a, it's a very sacred union that we have um, in the ways that we get to dance with, with each other in decision-making and uh, navigation of, of where Sacred Sons, the organization navigates to and, yeah, I, I really want to like celebrate and share and speak to like just how much foundation that the three of us had when we first showed up together. Like there wasn't a lot of, we didn't have to explain a lot, you know, there was syncing up and getting on the same page, but it was like very, very rapid fire. It was like, we all, we all understood very quickly and yeah, we were actually, yeah, we were, we were meeting up, you know, a few times a week in San Diego in Adam's backyard. And yeah, there was just so much groundwork w- was laid during that time. And, and it's very different now, you know, and it's very different in the sense of, you know, where Sacred Sons has unfolded to. And, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of learning of, oh, okay. And learning and, and self-inquiry about like, what is my role in Sacred Sons in that, like, not what is it now, but like what what a, if this is my part of my life's purpose and life's purpose evolves and shifts and it's a part of a of a group, what is you know, there's just these these added layers of dynamics of, mm-hmm. of what that looks like and there's a different type of pressure there, which is very I'm so grateful for it. You know, I've 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 mm-hmm. been able to grow so much on an impersonal level just by being in you know, uh, triad ship with these brothers and all the other brothers too, with, with Neil, uh, and Kevin Johnson and Marco, these brothers that are right there holding us. And, you know, it makes me think of, in some sense with the break of the father, let's, if you're using that sort of archetypal relationship and it's, it's compelling to me that, you know, the name of the organization is sacred sons, right? So it's actually kind of perfectly right there. And I wonder just at this this the tension between these impulses you know on the one hand of this sort of uh, tradition of the father or the grandfathers you know like uh, from a cultural perspective also recognizing that uh mkp's frame or, or offering does you know it's, it's relatively recent in its specific iteration though of course draws inspiration from a uh, long lineage of uh sort of ancestral rites of passage that is there a danger of in a way like breaking and, and sort of running too far ahead and like losing the anchor that the the elders and the older men provide as a kind of evening the ship you know like like i understand that there's a there's always like this core tension right between the the sort of youthful vigor and the ideas and the creativity and the like let's just do the thing and then the elders that are like whoa 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 hold on do you see the full level of consequence and you know the wake of of certain decisions and i'm just curious how to navigate that how have you navigated that you know with this riding this big creative impulse, you know, to, to start and to, to hold this sacred sons offering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is great. Well, first off, you know, continuing with shout outs and, and, um, and honorings, you know, I spending all that time in MKP, I got to like see a lot of 
I got to witness a lot of 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 eldership, and so not that it replaces it, you know, in Sacred Sons, but like there was, yeah, there was a my cup was full of of awareness, and yeah, so I was able to to really bring that through, and and I guess you know hold hold that awareness in in almost a burdensome way to some extent of like shadow watching you know um mm. which is a uh it's a very important role and it's a very it's a very uh yeah, it's a very burdensome role for for those who uh, step into that um especially without elder support so yeah so so that's that's kind of been the experience thus far and we've been here and there calling in elders and you know, it's, it's fucking tricky. Cause it's like, it's like, well, are you, are you loving enough and cool enough to be elder here? Cause like, I don't know if you know who we are, you know, kind of a thing. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, there's a, you know, there's, there's a handful of brothers that, that I've invited in that uh, kind of like uncle eldership realm. And for various reasons, they haven't come yet. And yeah. So, so looking forward to that. And, inviting those mm-hmm. brothers in more. I mean, you bring up something really interesting, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, one of my main mentors, teachers is a fellow named Stephen Jenkinson, who comes up a lot in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he wrote a book on this called Come of Age, A Case for Elderhood in a Troubled Time. And it's a fantastic book. And one of the things he says in it is, for those that are looking for elders, one, he said, elders don't make elders. You know, that elders don't confer elderhood upon each other, which is, uh, I would I would make the case that there's a lot of olders out there, right? Which are essentially older people, but they haven't been steeped in the, you know, the, the cultural thresholds and, and being tempered in a very, you know, particular way into the function of what elderhood is and what it asks for. And so, I, I recognize too, I've been in many situations again and again where I've been disappointed with how older people have shown up. You know, like when when a moment called for elder the elder function, they 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 couldn't recognize it, and in fact, actually reverted into a kind of adolescent, sort of buddy buddy, you know, terrain, which was a real disrespect actually to what the what the moment needed and what was of of service. And so, uh, Stephen says that you know younger people need to they they are in the elder making business by the willingness to ask them, mm. by the willingness to say, hey, we we need you actually in this role. You know, and at the same time, it's so challenging because, you know, he, he says, you look out and it's not like they're out there in this culture, you know, that I think because the the sort of tatters of, again, the, all of that ritual rites of passage and the rest for those of us from, you know, largely the European migration onto this continent and other places that have been deeply colonized, it's like we don't have those those cultural rights anymore. And so it's not like you can suddenly just you know, wave them in and the elders show up. So I, I just want to acknowledge that we actually are in a very interesting paradoxical time where it's on the one hand, we there's sort of a growing recognition, I think, particularly of youngers of like, wow, we really need elders. And at the same time, it's not like they're there waiting for us to, to call them. So I just want to acknowledge it is difficult actually. And I actually haven't figured this out myself. Like I, I, I don't know how to, you know, to do that or to be that thing, which I, I haven't seen very, very many examples of. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the time we're in, particularly for youngers, is that we, we kind of have to be that. Like hold the seat for the elder, not to say suddenly, well, we are the elders now, because I think that also kind of 
uh, hides a, a deeper heartbreak, actually, you know, a deeper, again, a sorrow for not having many in that seat and also not to be too quick to occupy the seat, I think, because, you know, we, you know, you and I even, we're about the same age, I think. And, you know, I'm about 40 and, you know, I got a lot of decades, hopefully, to to really keep my feet to the fire and all the rest, you know, so maybe when I'm called upon at that time by youngers, you know, I'm useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- I, what really comes up for me when you share that is, um, yeah, really honoring the the wound that it is of of this gap, right in the void. Really honoring that by acknowledging it and not trying to fill it so quickly because of because of the the pain around it, and and to really just in the way that that all this work has started that it was, you know, aside from the the excitement that it, it's taken time to really, and I'm not just talking about sacred sons, but like all this modern mythopoetic men's deep work, however we want to call it. Yeah. It's taken a lot of time for it to, to be on the scale that it is now. And it's taken, and that's looked like a lot of like small numbers of like turnout, right? Like if, if we're talking about, um, population and, and involvement and engagement it's it's been a lot of low numbers for for many years and yeah i think just to be mindful of that and that you know it's kind of like that 2080 rule too it's like you get 20 percent of the foundation of or of people then like the 80 percent will just fill in mm. yeah mm-hmm. last year at the convergence it might have been the last day like after you know a lot of the deep shadow work had been done and we were sort of in the celebratory time with a, a drum circle and it was a very ecstatic moment of, of really I think basking in the in the work that had been done and the the depths and the joy and you shared something with me around one of the reasons you felt called to leave MKP which was if I recall correctly something around the ability for you to connect with or to integrate or to explore your feminine and I wonder as I bring that up now what comes up for you in terms of that challenge or that 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 moment for you when you made that recognition. And I'd love to open up a, a sharing of your journey of what that actual mm. quest has been for you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, prior to that moment and afterwards. Yeah, I think about how how much awareness and work it's taken me and how much I've put towards slowing down in this work and cross the board in all the ways and seeing, yeah, seeing the bounty that comes from that. Um, I think about how, how much my body like has endured in men's work, how much it's like, just like how much I've put it through. And that's like, even before the wrestling started happening in sacred sons, you know, (laughs) But I put it through so much, like so much fucking adrenaline was running through my body. And, you know, and that's how I chose to 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 do it. And I'm not saying that it's like that for everybody, but that's how I chose to initiate with it. And yeah, I, I, I got to a point in MKP where there wasn't enough space for rest and rest wasn't revered as a quotation marks here process, which, you know, it is a process and, Mm. and really it's like, um, 
again, going back to quality, quality and not quantity, you know, it's like we could do 30 processes on a weekend, but if we're not sleeping well, we're not eating well, we're not resting well, and there isn't downtime, then how much are we really like taking in? You know, it's an arbitrary question, but it's, I think it's worthwhile to ask. And so I just got to a place where, you know, I was like, it was just a no brainer that like, I can't, I can't keep going on this way. And at that time I was like about a year into, uh, my partnership with Marissa. And so like, there was like, it was very present, you know, of like, oh, okay. Like self care, and, uh, slowing down and doesn't need to look a certain way. I hear you saying that, that the feminine in this context then is, is this capacity to rest or this capacity for self-care as, as one avenue, which is important and I think speaks to some of the, the conditioning that men have in this culture around their value coming from always needing to do, right? to, to achieve, to perform. And I'll offer a different uh, context as well for me that the, when, I, when I think about this question or reflect on it, I also find that men's work done well has provided a space for myself to put down the masculine polarity. That's just like one way I, you mm-hmm. know, I understand it, mm-hmm. but to put, to put down that need to always do, because it's almost like, um, I need the other, I need other men to, to hold the masculine. So then I can actually let go of the masculine and, and surrender more into, let's call it the feminine, which, you know, has its own intelligence and its own wisdom and, and often it's yeah its own surrender that leads to some profound levels of healing that i find again if 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 myself or if men are stuck in the masculine all the time it's like they don't have that access to, to enter those spaces and so i'm curious for you i mean as also another thread running through i mean both mkp and i mean i think that they they've showed that to me as well but but what is the function of this holding of the masculine in group process in men's work I mean, you can even speak more to sacred sons as mm-hmm. well. How is how does that provide the opportunity for men also to, to in that language, access their feminine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, um, what I'm really present to is if if I generate and cultivate a practice of self receptivity, right? Like if if I'm open to receiving from myself, um, giving myself permission from my like predominant masculine being then i can if i'm doing that for myself then i can facilitate and and lead and be be aware and hold other men in doing that right it's like self self first and and so it really beckons us to do that and you know we 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 often talk about like what masks are you taking off you know and all that and um what roles of masculinity are you retiring what are you what are you choosing like ultimately defining you deciding and defining which ones are ready to come off. So one, that, that that doesn't have to be held. Two, that other people can see you in that. And three, that whatever's underneath there can emerge. Whatever roles you are willing to step into from that after space of, you know, moving through all the, all the, uh, the pain that it, that it's caused to hold that. And, you know, sometimes it's, fragmented i often say that like initiation and and healing is fragmented because it's like we do this non-linear thing of we're revisiting wounds and and not Mm -hmm. always the case but just based on you know the dynamic of our world 
that we're, it's, you know, it's a process and that we're revisiting these things, these, these wounds and that we, um, we do find a, a place in that, you know, in that, that those clear spaces after we've moved through pain and grief that life emerges, right? It's like the, you know, Gestalt concept that here now it's like life emerges and like cross-culturally, like in every culture, like life is present and emerges and in, in pulling off and taking off these masculine conditionings that who we truly are comes through and we get to share that. And we, not only do we get to share that, but we really get to see that and choose to step into that role of that, right? That's really important too, of like being aware of the roles and the, the, the masks, the sacred masks that we're putting on. I think it's really important. We talk about that in, in the facilitator training, you know, we're running guys through and to lead this work and it's like, got to take the layers off. And then it's also like, all right, but what are you, what are you willing to step into? Because if you're going to lead this work, you know, you're going to fuck up, you're going to make mistakes. You might act accidentally hurt people. You know, it's like, it's a reality. Mm. Yeah. That's what I'm present to with it. Mm. A third context for this uh, reflection on the feminine is uh, a man's relationship to a woman, to to a female partner, if we're talking about hetero relationships. And, you know, I got a lot to say around my own <laughs> inquiry into this question and, uh, and challenges and, and revelation, you know, in relationship to the, the female partners that I've had and, and have. And I wonder this question for you, I know you're going through a very particular moment here where you've gone through a, what sounds like some spaciousness or a, or a separation of some kind with your current partner he named. And I would love for you just to speak a little bit about, about this moment for you, you know, what's coming up for you in terms of what, what are you reflecting on in terms of your relationship to the feminine and this question, you know, maybe both internally and also in the representation of this partner of yours. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks for that opening. There's been some really clear nuggets that have emerged that I'm really grateful for. Um, one is like some like really deep ownership and ownership just before <laughs> the self-shaming. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like that ownership of like, of really seeing like, man, I like, I really missed, missed some marks and I really, you know, I, I feel okay saying like there's times where, where it wasn't an, I didn't, I wasn't doing enough. Like not from that, not from that wound of like, it's never good enough. I'm not good enough. But like, no, it like, it really takes, <laughs> I, you know, Kali and I were talking about this last night. Yeah. It really takes a man to be able to say that in a good way that isn't from that wound of, shame and self and lack of self-worth of it wasn't enough. So yeah, really sit with that. And, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, grateful to come to that place. And do you mean just to clarify as well, the, 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 the energy that you're putting in or, or tending the relationship, that's what you mean that it wasn't enough that you, you, you had the capacity for more, but were sort of unconscious to, or yeah. maybe unwilling to participate in it. Yeah. Obviously in hindsight. Yeah. 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 But, you know, if we also look back, you know, there's hindsight, but then there's also looking back at moments of like, where, where is there times where I could have, if I had made a choice here, 
followed by some other, you know, choices, could that drastically have shifted things? Not so much so that the relationship would be different now, but so that, so that I could have learned and offered that, um, with my partner or, or to myself. Yeah. And it's not, it's not coming from a place of like, you know, again, not self-shaming and, and beating myself up and also not coming from a place of wishing it was any different, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm really present to how much capacity I have and another person has to, to love and, and love being, you know, that action word and like over and over and over again in time to, to grow alongside of the other. And yeah, there's, there's so much, um, so much sadness and so much joy and and gratitude in that same place. And, and this third thing is, um, I get to take, (laughs) I get to take both of those and be with myself, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, um, what a, what a beautiful place to, to, to be with those and you know that sense of uh, freedom and autonomy in in the new space of of uh, dissolving pre-existing relationship and yeah and then ultimately I decide and that uh, I can I get to choose in every moment and um, there's so much more space you know in this time so much more space for self-forgiveness you know, not to sound like trite or anything, but like, you know, it's, it's always there. Like it's, it's harder in partnership to, to forgive self and the other, you know, but like when, when there's solo space, yeah, it's like, there's, there's a lot of space for, for self forgiveness. And yeah, when I come into contact with that place for myself, it's just like, it's, it's a home, you know, self forgiveness is, is home and it, really extends out would you say more about that uh, in self-forgiveness what is the challenge with self-forgiveness in partnership so i think i understand what you mean but yeah for you just to unpack it a little you know just that i added dynamic you know at least for me you know again like ownership self i think i feel like self-forgiveness requires self-ownership of actions and and all that and Mm. the realities of you know of of what my life is and how I am in relationship to myself and others. And so again, like being in that place at that edge of ownership, but not going into the shame for me, that's like, that's been so challenging in life um, for all the reasons that it has been. And then add in the layer layer dynamic of being an intimate partnership for four years and, or however long somebody has been in partnership, it just makes it so much more challenging, you know, Mm. all the, subtle expectations that can um, creep in in relationship and then let alone just like having the the uh you know if if somebody's living in partnership having the solo physical space and solo mental space to to be in that and to arrive to it because at least for me i'm uh sometimes i like to out myself as being like a slow person and (laughs) really meaning that like I need a lot of time with myself <laughs> and and if if I operate under this this truth that like my my the authentic pieces of myself emerge um I can't be pressured into it and when I'm pressured into it I'm like you know I'm not I'm not me I'm like living 
I'm living for somebody else. And nobody, like, I don't want that. Nobody else really wants that from me. Hmm. I find that after a a relationship ends, at least I've found that there's been often a very, like a strong impulse to to repartner really quickly. And the way that I experience it is, or or visualize it is, it's almost like, you know, when you're with somebody for a, a long time, it's almost like the two of you kind of conform into a mutual shape, you know, where... You're still you're still separate, but you're you, you each kind of have a, a kind of topography that fits into each other. And when the relationship ends, and and often there's this removal, of course, of the other person, at least from that you know immediate vicinity. You're still in the same shape that you were when there was somebody there, and it actually takes a bit of time, almost like a stress ball or something, your memory foam, mm-hmm. you know, to to kind of like un unspool or to to expand a little bit now into the fullness of of yourself without that relation to that person. And what I think that that tension comes from around uh, wanting to couple very quickly again, or at least that I've experienced, was from that discomfort to, to be in that kind of empty shape. You know, and it actually takes a bit of a bit of time to, to expand again. And, and the danger often is stepping too quickly into getting somebody to fill that, mm-hmm. you know, and often they call that maybe, maybe the rebound mm-hmm. or the, you know, but, but I just think it's really, it's important to, to, hold that time as really necessary despite often the, the immediate discomfort because it allows oneself to truly come back to oneself and then and then yeah to begin to reflect outside of the immediate aftermath of which yeah it can be a really tender and challenging place to be but it's like the gold won't necessarily come though right away you know from the, that relationship actually i don't think it does come right away it does often take time to be able to then look back and to see oh wow yeah like that was happening or this was happening or you know, the patterns and the, and the, the richness emerge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really, um, really makes me think of like open, open receptors, mm-hmm. you know, and if we think of it from like an, an addiction or a codependency, which is like addiction, right. That like open recept, you know, if receptors aren't closing off to external, then like, right. Like that's addiction. Um, that's like, at least that's how I can say it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel that. The other realm, which I found is, is certainly one of my edgy areas of exploration, is also recognizing one, like my own internal feminine, particularly around like sensuality or sexuality. You know, and I recognize how often I will look to a female partner or or a lover to fulfill that like experience of the feminine. You know, and I'll just a parallel example is you know I was having a discussion with a friend recently who's a man and he's in partnership with a woman and um, he expressed that he has a very high sexual uh, appetite and he was, you know, frustrated that his female partner didn't have the same, didn't express the same appetite, you know, that, that he did. And so there was kind of like this frustration, right? Like how do I, you know, how do, how do we have more, how do we meet, how does she meet me in terms of the, the amount of sex that I want? And I said to him like, well, you know, it's interesting because you probably, this is drawing from the work of Robert Masters. He said, um, you know, the pro- a lot of things get smuggled into sex that actually aren't really about sex. You know, whether it's like power dynamics or, or yeah, lots of things. And and for my friend, what I said to him, I, I expressed an observe- observation that I think for him, he, he has a need to often feel grounded or if there's like a certain degree of tension, you know, that's built up in the body just through moving through life or stress and the rest. And often sex can be this tension release, right? And so it, it, it is a very like kind of biochemical um, necessity. And I said to him that, you know, that doesn't have to be, 
you know, sex with your partner, that could be a lot of things that could be, you know, working out or running or, you know, there's other ways to fulfill that need. Um, but the other one was a, a deep sense of belonging, mm, mm-hmm. I think, or a sense of like safety and home that, again, I find often if we're talking about heterosexual relations can often come from, say, from men's experience by being held in that way by a woman. And perhaps there's a kind of archetypal mother energy going on, which I think is is present for a lot of men, which is not a problem, you know, but it's good to just be able to recognize mm-hmm. it. But that that those two things were sort of getting bound into sex and 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 therefore he was thinking that, well, it's just about the sex. And so I just wanted to, I brought this awareness, I think, to him of, hey, you know what, there's other ways to meet this. And then the sex can just be the sex. Like that could be really interesting, you know, just to create the space to just have that kind of encounter with the pure sexual energy. Anyway, I bring that up again as a sort of what some of the patterns that I recognize both in myself and other men. And for you, I wonder, again, what has been your kind of like frontier of this exploration, you know, both within uh, the partnership that you had, say with a woman, but also within your own like internal realm, if we want to call mm-hmm. that, like accessing the feminine sensuality uh, within and women without. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll I'll start with saying you know with the example of your friend it's like man those those opportunities it's like as like as primal as it feels to want that like such a great opportunity to um learn with self and and learn with partner and to like really slow down and attune to 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 the partner and like to uncompound like you were speaking to uncompound the what's getting smuggled in i love that for me, a lot of it's been dance, five rhythms, ecstatic dance. Uh, I, I prefer like five rhythms because it's like a very uh, clear arc <laughs> for the most part. And, you know, there's this aspect within me that's just like, I'm like, I don't think you and I have been in it. Maybe maybe Summit uh, Convergence 3. But I can like wind up into this um, nonsensical like being, <laughs> like somewhere in between like uh, coyote and uh, it's like a mix of like coyote king and steward, I guess, and and some lover. Maybe it's all of them. Who knows? But it's like it's pure silliness, and it drives me, and I love it, and that's been something that's like. When, when that's coming out, like that's a sign for me that like a lot of, a lot of things within me are being nourished by myself and I feel safe and that things are being nourished by others. And it, it's like, it's really this reflection of this openness with myself to, to, to be subtle and to be soft and to be receptive and to, to not care about uh, you know, what other people are going to think about it, but also not like in this performative way, you know, it's just like, (laughs) you know, there's only so many like serious conversations and, you know, I have four Scorpios in my chart. There's only so many serious conversations (laughs) like I can have before I need to go into like just being completely nonsensical. And, you know, uh, I listened to a lot of Bob Dylan growing up too. And it was just like profoundly Mm. impactful on, on language for me of just like how to orient to like language and poetry at the same time and uh, the non-literal. So, you know, at the sake of just going off here, but in the context of men's work, it's, there's still so much conditioning around 
I feel like being that way, you know, we have self-permission to be the wild man, self-permission to be and group permission to, to, to be the sovereign um, and the steward and the warrior and, and magician, you know, all of them, I guess. And if most of our wounding comes from that time of adolescence, then it would make sense that there's still so much prior to that wounding that needs to be reconnected on a collective level. And, and I think, playfulness, collective playfulness without agenda, you know, shout out to Marco Mulbach, who is like, you know, a pure embodiment of this and, um, reflects that in for so many men in, in the sacred sense community, but yeah, mm-hmm. to, to arrive into, to a relationship of that, that is, um, yeah, there's just a lot of awareness of, of that soft part of ourselves and, and the cultivation of that without, without meaning of what it means to be this and who am, you know, it's just like, it's like, yes, of course, that's who we are. Like, it's part of our identity. Like, it doesn't need to be any, we don't need to call it anything more than that because it's, you know, we came into that, to this world with that. Mm-hmm. What comes to me when I hear that is how necessary it is to, or what feels like the rise of the feminine or the, the opening to the feminine within men in this context it, it feels like something different than maybe one would think on the outside. Like I, I know, I think a lot of uh, kind of the, the judgments, maybe less so in the in this generation's rising, but the, the generations prior. You know, again, a lot of this kind of denigration of the feminine and, and weakness, and and you know, don't cry and all this kind of stuff. You know, I do feel like a lot of the older men have deep wounds around this. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, I, I I think our generation, and certainly speaking with some of the even younger men, um, depending on the context, certainly still, depending on where they're you know, growing up, but the, the culture has changed a lot somewhat in these regards. And so I feel like there's a, a kind of recognition that this, this connection to the feminine isn't so much even about just sort of, um, I don't know, a kind of judgment of passivity or something, but it actually opens up other ways of expression that actually feel, you know, for example, joy, like expressing joy or like silliness or yeah, like play as a kind of unstructured, um, creative exploration that actually feels so much a part of what's possible, you know, with that, with that reconnection, with that permission. Cause I do think the, the trap often I see even in myself and perhaps, you know, with others in, in this kind of personal growth, uh, mandate is, you know, men's work becomes the next thing to do, you know, the disciplined thing mm-hmm. to do and like kind of power through it and, yeah. you know, grow the most you can grow. And, and so, you know, and again, it, it, it sort of misses the mark, in regard to the, what you're just saying as well, this this almost like accessing this whole other realm of let's call it like the feminine, which which l- very likely though would look quite different than one would expect again from the outside. So I just hear and I think what you're saying is and I'm I'm appreciating how it's almost like by getting this other realm online, the capacities for expression expand dramatically, you know, through dance or through movement or silliness or play. And in some sense, I would probably frame that as uh, a capacity to to cultivate eros in a more mm, holistic way and and i'll just say that you know if my my kind of working definition of eros is is like that pure life energy you know the pure vitality of life which you know going back to again the, the kind of heteronormative normative um, relationship under i mean at least the dominant culture often men who are conditioned out of accessing those capacities within themselves or with only in a very narrow band will tend to seek it primarily from women. Mm-hmm. 
right? They'll tend to seek embodiment or to seek a sense of like physicality or carnality through women. And the danger of that, of course, is that then they don't have access to it themselves or all those pathways. And it sets up a kind of dependency on the source of that, you know, which is i.e. women. And I'll just say that with that lens, I see, you know, the the kind of mythic substructure of Me Too, for example. You know, like Mm -hmm. why would there be such a heavy level of predation by men and particularly older men, let's say on, you know, younger women is because I see this, this is the fundament. They don't have access to the, the quote feminine source uh, within themselves. And so they seek it elsewhere, you know, through domination, through possession, through ownership and the rest. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The hunger is so deep and, you know, I imagine the, the, uh, the mixture of, of power and generational trauma just makes 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 men in in these positions so just so hungry and like you know that deep like starvation hunger where it's like very narrow and like it's so hard to see beyond like that Mm -hmm. you know i I can only i can i can imagine what that that's that's probably what that is i personally I, i can't relate to it on that level you know I can relate to it on on longingness, you know, what deep long and like the the hunger for for belongingness and and longing for for those things, and also you know in partnership and and with women, yeah. I I really I really like what's really present with me is like like going back to this thing again of the playfulness as if that's what we were in doing as our highest embodiment prior to the individual and collective wounding of the playground, you know, quotation marks here as the, as the adolescent wound that happens to all boys in all ways, all different types of ways, some more common than others, right? If we're going to, if we're going to do men's work and we're going to like hold each other, we're going to do the hard stuff and take these layers off, you know, it beckons us to be able to, that's like, we got to do all of it. You know, we got to do the reconnection part. We got to be, we got to be in the recreative stages together and the, and the new co-creative places, right? It's like, it's not necessarily recreating in some sense that it is. It's like reconnecting and from that place, co-creating in new ways. But I think that's, I think that's like the, the totality of it, right? It's like, we can't do one side of it. (laughs) If we're talking about polarities here and, and, uh, and, and balances, like it, we're beckoned to do the, the creative pieces. Mm. I really love that connection to that sense of, of what I would call maybe boyish playfulness or boyish joy. And, you know, I see it in my own son who's now, he's now about just over two and, you know, it's profound the level of sort of (laughs) emotional range he has to go through certain experiences, you know, from, from sadness to surprise to joy and playfulness so quickly and um, so purely. And I will say that, you know, my experience at the convergence, particularly, you know, on the Saturday night after we'd done a lot of the, you know, the heavy lifting of the work, connecting with the joy and, and the, and the dancing with the other men, it really did just generate a, a kind of deep fondness, you know, for, for men, but also men in connection with that almost like boyish joy, which felt like you're right, had been lost along the way due to wounding due to trauma, due to all these things. And and there's so much of that feels so necessary actually as like the foundation for a kind of, I don't know, holistic or or healed 
models of masculinity. You know, again, not to not to say that there's only one model that we're supposed to find now, and then that's the universal one to apply. But just in terms of the tone or the quality of that that connection to that joyful place feels so necessary. Right, right. It's as simple as like if we get disconnected from the core essence of who we are, and we're going to live this life, we have to come back into connection with that. Mm. I couldn't end our conversation today without a, at least an invitation for you to speak a little bit about uh, men's work memes. Oh, yeah. Which is a Instagram channel, yeah. uh, which I highly recommend. And I'd love for you to speak a little about that. Yeah. Uh, men's work memes have uh, no affiliation with Sacred Sons whatsoever. <laughs> the, I'm, I'm so glad you said this because this actually came up when you're talking about the playfulness aspects of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that. It's like... Um, there's something with the memes, especially when we're memeing ourselves in the men's work realm is like the, there's so much of that playfulness that we were just speaking to. And then there's so much um, confrontation that we spoke to earlier, right? It's like, there's like, in order to like uh, roast ourselves, like we really need to be aware of that piece in ourselves or in the other and see it in the other. Um, I love it so much. I love, um, yeah. I love being confronted in that way. Like I love being, it's, it's somewhat, I don't know. Some people think it's a little much, but I love uh, like at least my relationship to like me getting roasted myself and me getting memed. Like, I love it. Like, Oh, you see me, you see me in that way. And then on like a, a, a collective level, it's like, you know, not taking ourselves too seriously. And sometimes they're like a little too like, inside jokes you know but um it's hard to say mm. uh yeah what's what's your experience mm. of them <laughs> i love them i mean you know i'm really appreciating the the kind of um trickster uh, vibe or the jester you know that that is able to you know playfully upend any attempt to try to create too much you know dogma or ideology around around the work being done. And it just makes me think of, uh, it's such a necessary medicine to, to prevent, again, a kind of crystallizing of a certain way or a certain, you know, seriousness. And, you know, I'm just uh, reflecting on a, on a quote. I can't remember the source, but I can't remember the source or the context, but it does make me think of this, this function, which is, you know, this work is very important, but it's not serious. And there's like something within that, mm-hmm you know, within that, that paradox that I think you're capturing with the men's work memes. And I highly recommend people yeah. check it out. Yeah. And just, just so we know, just, we all know, uh, I don't create the memes. Uh, sometimes I supply some of the images and, and maybe some of the content, but, um, most of that is, is Marco, Ricky Marco on, on IG. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to Marco again for holding that down. He's, uh, he's the resident meme Lord. And so we got a facilitator training coming up, you know, next week. Um, and he'll be there, uh, and his role will mostly be sitting in the corner taking photos mm-hmm. and, and memeing guys. So hopefully we can expect <laughs> to see some, some freshies, uh, in the coming weeks. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, that about wraps it up for this conversation today. Jason, really appreciate your time, brother. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ian. Um, yeah, it's been an honor to to be here and chat in all these ways. And I feel like we covered a lot of a lot of range here. And mm. yeah, stag stag squad in the house, Mackenzie in the house here. Yeah. Till next time. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mythic Masculine Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please visit any of the major podcast platforms and leave a review. This helps spread the word and reach a wider audience. Also, if you'd like to join me for future live episodes, head to themythicmasculine.com and click Become a Supporter. You'll get access to behind-the-scenes updates, bonus episodes, and the ability to join live conversations before they're released to the wider public. I don't accept advertising and rely on listeners like you to fund the show. Thanks for the consideration. Until next time.